Good morning. Uh, just, I just want to share that in looking at Matthew 19, I, I've, I've felt a lot of different um, emotions as looking at this passage, and, and really one was burdened. I really felt burdened. I asked for prayer on Tuesday evening uh, about this message, and, and I, I know a lot of people prayed for me in, in this, and I appreciate it, and I thank you, and I feel the Lord helping me in this and so i'm excited to feel like it's a you know super bowl game day here we are and um i would uh just also say that god is in the preparation god has just bombarded me with things in the last few weeks a couple of months but i would say especially in the last couple of weeks and it just was encouraged my heart and yesterday being at the uh, freedom summit at the at the met was also really an encouraging time and and a lot of these same things that, that came up there and and this just the encouragement and the reinforcement so i'm excited to preach god's word this morning let's pray together indeed father god i give you all the praise and thanks for you for your working uh, i believe you have things that you want to impress upon us this morning, and I pray that you would impress each one of us, myself included, you would impress us with what you want us to be impressed with this morning in your word, that you would challenge us, that you would correct us, that you would do the work that you've promised to do of conforming us to the image of your son, and we so want that because he's beautiful, he's worthy. What a glorious savior we have. We thank you, Lord God, and we commit ourselves now to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. All right, Matthew 19. <clears throat> Let's just read through this passage. We're, we're going to be covering verses 1 through 12. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way, others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. All right, <clears throat> so you see large part of this is, is uh, marriage and divorce. And I just wanna give a disclaimer right up front, I'm not, here this morning to give a full treatise on the subject of marriage and divorce. We're going to deal with the passage. There, there's a lot more that could be said, 
Um, so we'll leave it at that. Not a full treatise. You'll, you'll get it as we move along. Verse one here, as we read, gives us the backdrop uh, to, to what's going to transpire, this conversation that's going to transpire. Jesus has left Galilee for the last time before he goes to the cross. And now I understand it's going to be a period of three to six months of ministry in Judea and in Perea. Perea was that region east of the Jordan River. Um, it's where Herod Antipas had his palatial fortress that his father built and that he enhanced. And it's where Herod had uh, Herod Antipas had John put in prison and eventually beheaded. Uh, we read in the history of that in Mark chapter 6, and I'm just going to read from there, um, verses 17 through 21. It says, For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. So there's a little bit of the history. John had audience with King Herod. I often think of John as this guy, solitary figure off in the wilderness and, and not preaching to kings and king's palaces. But clearly he had, he had had ministry in Herod's life. He spoke to him. It says he had been saying, it wasn't just one occasion, he had been saying over and over to King Herod personally, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And this was uh, based on Leviticus chapter 20, verse 21, which says, if a man marries his brother's wife, it is an act of impurity. He has dishonored his brother. They will die childless. <clears throat> Philip was not dead. Herod's brother Philip was not dead. Uh, Herod and Herodias decided that they were going to get married, even though they were both already married. They both divorced their spouses and married each other so that's that's john and i i thought it was interesting um proverbs chapter 22 verse 29 says do you see a man skillful in his work he will stand before kings he will not stand before obscure men and when it comes to skillfulness and preaching that was evident in john's life he was a faithful man of god who spoke the truth and did not worry about the consequences of speaking that truth. He didn't back down. He kept saying what he had to say. And what's Herod's what's what's Herod thinking these days? We 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 Mark gives us a little bit of a backwards chronology here, backing up to verse 14. Um, he's hearing about Jesus. And Jesus, the, the influence that Jesus is having, and he said, 
Uh, it says here, King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he's Elijah. And still others claimed, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. That's pretty serious. You could see Herod would be alarmed about this Jesus, and now he's thinking, oh, this is John who's come back from the dead. Keep all that in mind as we move uh, forward, but we're going to hit verse 2 here. Large crowds followed him, followed Jesus there, um, and he healed them there. So I, I can never, ever read in, in the New Testament about these large crowds following Jesus uh, without reflecting on my days in West Africa and just the people who would come, constant barrage of people coming to you with one need or another, looking to you for the answer to their problem. Uh, and human speak, humanly speaking, that was very difficult. And I think about Jesus, even in times where he takes his disciples and said, okay, well, guys, we're going away for a little break. And they get to their place where they're going to have their little break. And guess who's there? The multitudes are there looking to Jesus for something. And just think about that. People are needy. Being around people all the time can be exhausting. And yet Jesus, in his grace, in his love, in his mercy, he accepts the people, he heals them, he feeds them, he takes care of them. And just thinking about that in regard to all that we do in our lives, all that we put our efforts into, it's only the souls of people that are eternal. All this other stuff is going to burn up, it's going to pass away, but the souls of people are eternal. And so it, how does it, what does that look like in my life? Am I investing myself in a way that, that, that demonstrates that? Am I willing to die to myself, my own desires, uh, in regard to opening up my heart to people and opening up my calendar, opening up my space to people to minister to them. And so I just find that a real encouragement in, in, in this verse again. And uh, I think we've got some great examples around us here in, in our fellowship of people who, who do this. And I, I'm not going to name any names, but I, I look at you guys and I think, wow, what an example, what a blessing um, these people are who bless us, so many of us, constantly. All right, verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him and to test him. They asked him. Oh, let's stop there. Let's, let's, let's start there. Um, before I move on, Jesus is well known. He's, he's loved by many, but he's also hated by many. Psalm 69, verse 4, Messianic Psalm. This is the experience of Jesus. Those who hate me without cause outnumber the hairs of my head. And the, the Pharisees, that's, that's them. They, they hate Jesus without a cause. Uh, and <clears throat> despite, despite um, the fact that he's, He's done wonderful miracles and wonders and signs, yet they hate him. 
and they reject him, and they call him demon-possessed. And, and that's their heart in things. And I, think, I, I read what Stephen in Acts says to the Pharisees, to these people who are ready to put him to death. He says, stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. So that's the state, uh, the heart of these Pharisees who came to test him, uh, testing God. <laughs> not knowingly, but testing God. And they're, remember where they are now. They're in Perea, they're, they're in Herod's territory. And Psalm 2 talks about the people's conspiring against God, against this righteous one. And, and, and you can just see these guys getting together and thinking through, you know what we could do? We could ask him a question about divorce. And maybe he'll become unpopular by the answer he gives. And, and maybe even Herod will kill, hear about this, and he'll, he'll take care of him like he took care of John the Baptist. So they've got their golden opportunity, and they've got their, their question. So what is this sly question? They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, Everything I read and hear tells me that divorce was common in Jesus' day. It was very common in Israel. And uh, we'll see that later in verse 10. Um, the disciples themselves, by asking, well, if that's the case, you can't divorce, so it's better not to marry to begin with. So clearly from their mindset, divorce was common and totally, totally fine. Um, <clears throat> So in asking this question, the Pharisees know that pretty much no matter what Jesus is going to say here, he's going to step on some toes and he's going to become unpopular. So at that time, there were basically two schools of, of thought, two rabbis, two very influential rabbis, uh, Rabbi Shemai and Rabbi Hillel. And the question really was an interpretation of Deuteronomy chapter 24. So I'm just going to turn there, Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. I'll read it here as it's written in the old NIV that I'm reading. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, and after she leaves his house, she becomes his, the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. <clears throat> So I'd like to read the Septuagint on a portion of that, um, because that's what Jesus is, that's what they're using. And when you read the New Testament, you read quotations of, of, 
of the Old Testament, typically you're getting the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew text. Here's what it says. And if anyone should take a wife and should dwell with her, then it shall come to pass if she found not, if she should not have found favor before him, because he has found some unbecoming thing in her, that he shall write for her a bill of divorcement and give it into her hands, and he shall send her away out of his house. So <clears throat> in that passage, uh, he has found some unbecoming thing in her. This was that, that phrase right there, that's the basis of the two schools of thought and the debate between those two schools. Uh, Shammai looks at the key phrase in, this, in that portion as some unbecoming thing. This unbecoming, unbecoming being the key phrase, is the Hebrew word literally is nakedness. And it's something that brings shame. And his interpretation of that phrase was adultery. Now, Rabbi Hillel looks at that phrase and says he has found some unbecoming thing, something. The husband has found something about his wife that he doesn't like. And so in his interpretation, and just for what it's worth, if you go back and look at Hillel and Shammai as to other things that they interpreted differently in the Old Testament, normally I would side with Hillel. He was the, a little more gracious, a little, not in the wrong sense of the word, but uh, Shammai would have been the legalist and Hillel would have been a little bit more, the, a little, little easier to get along with for most people. Anyway, whatever that's worth. Um, but in this sense, he, he's looking at basically anything about your wife that doesn't please you. She burns your food. She burnt your food, you can divorce her. Um, she went out in the street and she was so happy about something, she spun around. And when she was spinning around, her dress kind of lifted up and her ankles showed. Divorce her. Um, you find somebody that, you know what, I like that lady over there more than I like the wife that I've got now. Fine, divorce her. She said something negative about my mother-in-law. Oh, her mother-in-law, my mother. Okay, divorce her. You're fine. That's totally allowed. So that's what's going on here. Hillel is no-fault divorce. What is, and this is a question, not a rhetorical question, I want to answer, what's the number one cause for divorce in Canada today? Anybody out there willing to venture a guess? Money? Good, good. good. Thank you for throwing something out there. Incompatibility. Incompatibility is the number one reason. No, we don't just, we don't get along. We got along one day so well that we got married, but now we don't get along anymore. Well, Hillel says, absolutely, man, ditch her. No, yes, lady, you don't like him anymore. Fine, get rid of him, the bum. You don't need to keep him around. So that's Hillel. All right, so that's what's going on here. And what's Jesus gonna answer back to this? It's gonna not rub someone the wrong way in the audience. Well, he replies, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother 
and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. <clears throat> I love the way that starts. Haven't you read? What does God's word say about this situation? And this is just so important. It's not what what's common what's the common take on that today or what's the socially acceptable thing to say here or what's the politically correct answer to this question that's not where he goes he doesn't say what's what's what can i see here that's not going to get me into trouble that's not what he does he says haven't you read he takes them right back to the word of god which is our foundation for us who are sitting in this room we believe this book to be god's word to us and so we have it and let's go back to this and everything and whatever comes our way what does god's word tell me about this so he goes back to the foundation where does he go well to the beginning back to genesis 1 in the beginning he says jesus here also a good note for us he's affirming the genesis account he does not put this in the category of fiction he says this is it and he says in the beginning the excuse me the creator made them male and female so jesus is declaring that there's a creator who made things he actually created things Jesus didn't believe in any kind of theory of evolution. He says he, they, he created the male and female in the beginning. And I think that's an extremely important point that we can gather from this text. What did he create? He created a man and a woman. One man and one woman. And it's interesting to me that here we are 6,000 years later, and we still have a population of basically 50-50, male, female. Isn't that fascinating? It would seem to make sense to me that that's because God designed that there would be one man for every woman, one woman for every man. I would also just throw this out there that, again, hitting on the point of evolution, Jesus is clearly not buying that he, he's he's saying there's a creator who created and he created a man and a woman and i just think to myself and i've thought this often in regard to evolution <clears throat> and i i was taught evolution in school i believed it why not this is the only thing i ever heard oh yeah sure i i'm sure as a kid in church i heard uh, you know the story of genesis but you know i probably heard that once to every Every hundred times I was given the truth of Evelation, as it were. So I just believed what I was told. And, uh, but I, and then when I came to know the Lord and, and was exposed to the Bible, it just made sense to me. And I keep continuing running the things. I think, oh, that doesn't make any sense for evolution. And I would just point out one, one problem, and that would be the complexity of man and woman and god said be fruitful and multiply the complexity of procreation 
And I wonder what was happening during those hundreds of millions of years while this animal, almost animal type creature was evolving and took two streams, male and female. How did they procreate during those, those mysterious eons? It doesn't make sense. I choose to accept the biblical narrative and there's still something unexplainable. It's, it's my unexplainable God who is so wonderful. He's self-existent. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. I can't explain that. But in the end, I, I acknowledge it and I praise God. What a marvelous God we have. Let's look back now quickly at Genesis chapter 1. To see what, what's Jesus looking at here. He's looking at Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Sorry, I misread that. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. <clears throat> and then in chapter 2, verses 20 through 24, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So that's... What we're looking at here, it's interesting, verse 24, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Who said that? You ever wonder, who said that? Is that Mr. Narrator in there, just sticking out in there? Well, actually, in Matthew 19, we, we get who said it, because Jesus tells us that it's God who said that. At the beginning, the Creator made the male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. I find it interesting here too, a man will leave his father and mother. He came from them as a baby, not Adam, but the rest of us. Came to, we came to our parents as this baby and we're a combination of, of these two people and their DNA and, and we, we get that shared DNA and various how all that works, we're put together, we're a unique, our own unique combination of, of them and of their parents and, and moving on back. Um, and mom and dad, from the moment of birth, mom and dad are everything. They're absolutely everything to you. And that child needs the input of mom and dad in their lives. And it continues on like that all the way to adulthood, at which point, um, this this little boy has become a man and he's ready to leave his father and mother now and be united to his wife and 
they're united and the cycle of life continues on. This word united is uh, the Greek word for glue. That they will be glued together, permanently attached, so much attached that the two, the two become one. I had an interesting experience on Friday at work with glue. I, I had the job of making, making a kitchen drawer. Don't ask me how drawers go missing, but this one went missing. And uh, so I had to make this new drawer. I went off to Owen Harbor in the morning, early morning, got, got my stuff, came back, and, and with difficulty, I'm not a cabinet guy, okay? Uh, with difficulty, you know, some difficulty, I made this drawer. I was really pleased with it. I glued it all together, you know, cut the grooves, got it all put together. Um, it was about 4.10 at this point. I decided, okay, I'm going to go check this drawer real quick in the slot. I got there, uh, go to put my drawer, and it's like, oh, it's too big. It's not just a little too big, it's an inch and a half too big. Uh, there's no shaving that off. Um, so yeah, oops, exactly. So I go back to the shop and I'm like, look at the clock, it's 4.15. I'm supposed to leave in 15 minutes. And I've got this drawer that I've just glued together. And if I leave this sit till Monday and try to remove this thing, it's going to be absolutely destroyed. So with difficulty, after only 15 or 20 minutes sitting in glue, I got it apart, cut it down and, and re-glued it. Now I don't call this thing four or five pieces of wood glued together. It's a unit. I call it a drawer. And God has joined a husband and wife and made you one. And you're to stay one. That's what God wants from, with married couples, that we are one and we stay together as one. And if you seek to pull that apart, you're destroying something. This, um, this word for flesh, sarks, is an, uh, a word that it, it can mean flesh, just like you might go buy some meat at the meat market. It can, it can mean that. It can also mean um, basically one person. And you can see that if you want to look at it later, 1 Corinthians one twenty nine. no flesh may boast before him, meaning no one can. Galatians 2.16, uh, no flesh shall be justified. In other words, no person, no one can be justified before God. So I think... It absolutely carries that idea of, of one person. These two join together, they become one person. And I, I, I think about the, a great example of that in terms of, you look at a, a couple who has been married many years. You look at some of our, uh, my parents, they're 84, they've been married for many, many years now, 50, 60 years. So, you, you look at them and it's hard to picture them even apart. And then when one dies and the other one's left, it's, it's like their soul has been ripped in two. Uh, that's the kind of thing we're talking about here. That's what God is talking about. The two will become one. And yes, uh, there is a, a physical aspect as well. First Corinthians 6, I'll just read that as well. First Corinthians chapter 6, which is not the context of 
marriage, as it were, but the context of, of prostitution. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. <clears throat> so there is this aspect of physical union, physical intimacy as well. It's to be unique in the confines of marriage. Uh, verse 18 there says, flee from sexual, immortal sorry, sexual immorality, uh, which is the Greek word porneia, which we're going to get to here shortly. Um, verse 6. They're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Six in Matthew 19, that is. If you're still in 1 Corinthians. Um, so God's intention was to join a man and woman and not to, not to separate them. And it's interesting here to me in this verse that God does the joining. That's kind of cool, isn't it? No matter whether you're Christian or non-Christian, whoever you are, but God does the joining in marriages, and he wants them to stay together. It's not to be broken. Stay married. Is that hard? Well, actually, it is hard. Apparently, it's hard. Four out of ten Canadian marriages end in divorce. It must be hard. Why is it so hard? Well, we're going to get that in just a minute. They say, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? You're saying no divorce. Well, why did Moses then command that we do that, that we give her a certificate and send her away? Well, Jesus says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Marriage is hard because our hearts are hard. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner, and then if you're married, you're married to a sinner. You guys might have kids together, and they're sinners too. And we got all these sinners with quirks and irritations and things that, that rub us the wrong way, trying to live together and get along. So, yeah, marriage is hard. Um, so Moses permitted you to, but it wasn't that way from the beginning, he says. Back to the beginning. Stay the way God wants you to. Now, I wanted to point out the last two sermons that we've just had. Last week, Dave Boulard spoke on forgiveness, which I think is absolutely key to marriage. Tons of forgiveness. We've got to have tons of forgiveness. And two weeks ago, Gideon spoke on uh, Matthew 18, this passage where if your brother sins against you, go to him. And if he doesn't hear you, take some others with you. And I think there's an application to marriage here as well. The first step being communication between husband and wife. If we're not talking about these things that are rubbing us the wrong way, that's not good. We need to have open communication. And sometimes we need that second step of outside help. Because sometimes we need a fresh perspective. Sometimes I maybe not even going to hear what my wife has to say to me. But somebody else saying it to me and pointing something out, maybe that might help. And so 
I do want to just encourage everyone that, you know what? Difficulty in marriage is not uh, unique to you if you're having difficulty in your marriage. It's not unique to you at all. There's no shame in saying, guess what? I think we need some help. I think we need to talk to somebody and get some input into our marriage because I don't think, and you agree, and you say, this, this isn't going well. We want it to go well because God said stay married, and he didn't want us to stay unhappily married. He wants us to stay happily married. So let's get some help. Let's get some input. So I, I say that to invite you to, um, to uh, really take advantage of the fact that you're in a body, you're in a family, and we have elders here who would absolutely be happy to sit with you and not condemn you because they have the same struggles in their marriage that you have in yours. To sit with you and, and talk. We have ladies with the Faith Connections Ministry, and I was told by the elders, invite people, talk to these ladies, get help you need. Don't, don't spend a miserable marriage. Communicate, get help. We're normal. You're normal. If you got struggles, you're still normal. I can guarantee you you're normal. Okay? All right. Verse 9. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and then marries another woman commits adultery. Quickly, Mark chapter 10. Oh, Mike, thank you for giving me all this time. I still need more. All right. He answered, anyone, parallel passage, Jesus says this, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So I read that for a couple of reasons. One is that Mark does not give the, what we call the exception clause, that, that phrase in there, except for marital unfaithfulness. He just says, and this is him talking the disciples alone after, in the house about this situation and basically saying, it's not allowed. Divorce is not allowed. Okay? And I read it also just to point out that it's not just a man divorcing his wife and marries another one, he's, he becomes an adult. It's also a woman who divorces her husband and marries another person, becoming adultery. It goes both ways, doesn't matter, male or female. The hard and fast rule is no, no divorce. It's intended for life. Any single people out there, keep that in mind. It's intended for life. You're married for life. So this is the hard and fast rule. Matthew records Jesus' words, giving the exception except in the case of marital unfaithfulness. Now, that word is the Greek word porneia, and different translations have done different things. Mine, the old NIV, said marital unfaithfulness. That's a bad translation, in my opinion. It does not, it, basically that says adultery. That word, yes, it does mean porneia can be used to mean adultery. It can also be used to mean a lot of other things, incest, pedophilia, um, uh, bestiality, homosexuality, all those words fall under the category of porneia. Okay? So, under the Old Testament, you'll notice that those things that I just listed as porneia, they had a penalty, and that penalty was death. And that would be the end of the marriage. Once your partner dies, you're free to marry someone else. And so with the exception clause, it is telling us that, yes, 
in the case of porneia, sexual immorality, divorce can happen. Now, I would also note here that the exception clause, and again, I, I am not trying to give a full treatise on the subject of divorce. If you have questions about any of this, please speak to one of the elders. They also have written a paper about this. You can get that paper, okay? The exception clause is not the exception command. Divorce is not required in the case of sexual immorality, sexual sin, failure in what you should be doing or should not be doing. It is allowed, that person is free to divorce and remarry, they will not be an adulterer in that situation, okay? What could be better than this, divorcing? How about life from the dead? What do I mean by that? Yes, life from the dead in the form of repentance, in the form of forgiveness and restoration. And as I said, God barraged me with things. Last 15 minutes of my drive from work, Wednesday, I heard focus on the family. What was it talking about? A husband and wife. The wife was involved in a, an adulterous relationship for three years during their marriage, and it came to light. They didn't get divorced. It was hard, but they came together. And today they're sharing their story, and it's a beautiful story. And um, I just want to say that God is this sexual immorality doesn't mean that you have to divorce. Um, sorry, that you doesn't mean to have. Yeah, you don't have to divorce. You can stay together, and um, and work through things. Now, again on divorce, and this will be my last thing I can really say with the time that I have, and I've got much more in this, in this, um, in this subject that could be talked about. But uh, I do want to say that, again, I'm not giving a full treatise on the subject of, of marital breakdown. And I haven't talked about separation. I haven't talked about abuse. And if there's a, a woman who is being abused or children who are being abused, get out of the situation. Get out. Get the help you need. Do not stay there and, and be abused. Get the help you need. I, I plead with you. Get the help you need. If you're in a situation, maybe it's not abuse, as it were, but uh, I can separate those, but it's a toxic situation. Get the help you need. Again, Get the help you need today, please. Um, <clears throat> there's more to be said. I regret that I can't say it this morning. Maybe God will give me another opportunity, and I'll finish this message uh, somewhere along the line in this series on Matthew, or at the end of the series on Matthew. I trust by God's grace that what we've heard this morning is an encouragement to us. And um, God knows all things, and so I'm thankful. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks again for, your, for teaching us from your word, for the encouragement that we have in the scripture. And 
we desire to be good students of the word. Lord, help each one of us in this room who are married to value that relationship, to nurture that relationship, to yield ourselves to you in our relationships, that we would truly be united with our spouses, glued together in that inseparable bond, in loving unity, in peace, in joy, and all the beautiful things that you've desired and designed for our marriage marriages. So we thank you, Father, and commit our ways to you as we part. In Jesus' name, amen.